0: We all know there are times when you don't have many choices in who you work with, like when a pipe bursts and you need a plumber right now. But when it comes to your mental health, you should have choices so you don't get stuck with a therapist who can't remember what you tell them every week. To find a good therapist for you, try ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book hundreds of types of doctors, including thousands of mental health providers. We're talking about therapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of patient-reviewed, in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments, either online or in person. I use this, and you should too. Go to ZocDoc.com stronger and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's com slash stronger, zocdoc.com slash stronger. Welcome to Mentally Stronger, the show that will help you develop the mental strength you need to reach your greatest potential no matter what life throws your way. I'm Amy Morin, psychotherapist, mental strength trainer and an international best-selling author of five books on mental strength. Every Monday, I introduce you to a guest whose story and expertise can inspire you to think, feel, and do your best in life. And the fun part is, we record it all from a sailboat in the Florida Keys. Now let's dive in today's episode. Do you have a loved one who's battling a substance use disorder or an addiction? Do you struggle to know how to support that person? Do you want to help that person get into treatment? If you answered yes to any of those questions, stick around. Today's episode is for you. I suspect that every single person listening to this show has a loved one who has a drug or alcohol problem. Loving someone with an addiction can be tough. Many loved ones have been accused of enabling their loved one's addiction. And they've been told that they need to detach and disengage, which is heart-wrenching for a parent or a loved one to do. We wouldn't expect someone to stop caring about a loved one who had a physical health issue. So it's not fair that we ask people to do that when their loved one has an addiction. Then there are TV shows like Intervention that encourage friends and family to give loved ones an ultimatum that says, get help now or we're cutting you out of our lives. And while that strategy can sometimes get people into treatment in the moment, research shows interventions usually fail in the long term. And while it does work on TV, it doesn't always work in real life. And I don't fault any families for trying, because when you feel desperate, you'll do anything you can to save your loved one's life. But there's another approach that's a lot more helpful it's called CRAFT, which stands for community reinforcement and family training. It's an evidence-based strategy that helps families who have a loved one with a substance use problem. And it's especially helpful when the loved one isn't interested in getting help. Not only can it reduce your stress, but it could increase the likelihood that the person with a substance use issue will actually seek treatment. But most people have no idea that CRAFT exists. So, if you know someone with a substance use disorder, please stay tuned. This information could be life changing. I'm talking to Lori McDougall. She's a former math teacher turned nationally recognized craft trainer. She's a full time recovery expert for Allies in Recovery, which is an online program that helps families who have a loved one with a substance use issue. She hosts support groups, facilitates trainings, and answers questions on the blog and hosts a podcast called Coming Up for Air. As you'll hear, Lori learned about craft when her adult son developed a heroin addiction. She was desperate to save his life and find out what she could do to help. And that's when she discovered craft. Some of the things she talks about today are the biggest misconceptions people have about loving someone with an addiction, why connection is the key to helping someone get into recovery, and the skills that can help family members increase the likelihood that a loved one will get into treatment. Make sure to stick around until the end of the episode for The Therapist Take. It's the part of the show where I'll break down Lori's strategies and talk about how you can apply them to your own life. So here's Lori McDougal on how to support a loved one with a substance abuse problem. Lori McDougal, welcome to Mentally Stronger. Hi, Amy. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you because if there's one thing that our listeners and the readers in my book say that makes it really hard to be mentally strong, it's often that they have a loved one with an addiction. And they'll say, it's really tough to go about my day or to function or to really do anything when I'm so worried about somebody, whether it's their partner, their adult child, or sibling, or sometimes it's a cousin, somebody else, or even a friend. But they say, how do you function? But... Before we get into that, how do you function? I'd love to hear a little bit about your story, about how you went from being a math teacher to becoming an ally in recovery.
1: Okay, okay. that's It's actually a long story, but (laughs) yes, I am a former high school math teacher, um, and um, I have a son. It's actually a a pretty scary story because my introduction to the opioid epidemic was me finding him um, overdosed in the morning. Um, in his bed at my house. Um, and uh, uh, this story is not about him. It's really about me, um, and being launched into this incredibly traumatic event, um, that really just brought me to my knees. Right, just really, really brought me down to a place where I had no idea of what to do and where to go. Um, and in fact, it debilitated me for, for a bit of time, I would say a good six months. Um, and I remember my husband, I remember being, you know, on the couch and literally I couldn't do anything. I couldn't do anything at all. Um, and I can't even explain it to people. It's not like I was incredibly sad or, I mean, I would have moments of deep sadness moments of deep despair, but also a bit of numbness. Um, And it was, it was a state of, I can't do anything at all. Um, I'm almost not feeling anything and trying to pressure me to get me to do something in the day. I just didn't care. I I just couldn't. Um, And I remember saying to my husband, uh, give me six months give me 6 months and i if i can't get off the couch in 6 months then i will um, do something about it and i remember him saying to me 6 months you're going to you're just going to lay there for 6 months and it was like yeah i i literally can't um do anything and what's interesting is just before this had happened i had left my job so I didn't have a job to go to. I didn't have a reason to get up and do anything in the day um and what I found was after six months i I was doing a lot of work mentally. I was processing things um I was reading uh I was doing what lo- small steps, taking small steps, but still not doing a whole heck of a lot and then at the end of six months, I realized you know, I'm not able to control what's going on here. I do need to do a little bit more uh, to reach out for help. Um, staying on the couch isn't isn't getting me anywhere. And that's when I started to do a heck of a lot more reading. I signed up for a college level class so that I could understand addiction. Um, I started going to Every Al-Anon, Codependence Anonymous, Learn to Cope meeting across three different states, uh, Connecticut, Massachusetts, and Rhode Island. Um, And I can can honestly say that they helped. They helped a tremendous amount when I was in a really very difficult spot. Um, But I also found that over time, um, I... I started, to, I, I started to see that there were some mixed messages coming out of those groups. Um, and I'll just tell you kind of what spurred me to do this kind of personal research of looking at all of these different groups was that my son, who had been off in treatment for about three months, when he came out of treatment, um, his treatment facility was telling him he needed to do 90 meetings in 90 days. So I decided I would do 90 meetings in 90 days for myself. Um, And what I found was going to all of these different meetings was I really had to pick and choose which meetings to attend because oftentimes um, those meetings, the facilitator determined the mood or the atmosphere of those particular meetings. and. I found that I had to find I tend to be a very upbeat person. I I must have natural high levels of dopamine or something because I can't stay down for too long. And um and I found that okay, I can't go to this meeting, but I can go to this meeting. Wherever I could find facilitators that were um more on an upswing that that brought a kind of presence of positivity to the group. That was the group that I gravitated towards. Um, and then over time, I started to realize that I was getting a lot of mixed messages. So, yes, these groups helped me help myself, right? They it allowed me some time to kind of focus on me. But what I found was there were mixed messages and things like, um, uh, there's always hope, there's always hope, but there's nothing you can do, mm. right? Just, there's nothing you can do. And I tend to be a bit of an honorary kind of person. And you just tell me there's nothing I can do. And I'm like, I'm going to find something I can do. Um, and what ended up happening is I had a cousin that was, um, she was going through the same issues that we were going through in her family and she called me up one day and she said, Hey, Laurie, have you ever heard of CRAFT, community reinforcement and family training? And I had not. And she said, uh, I think you need to look it up. And I think you need to go and read about it because I think it's the way you think. And so I did. I I literally Googled community reinforcement and family training and lo and behold, I think probably because I live in the state of Massachusetts, Allies in Recovery, a website, popped up as a craft-based website. And um I went into the website, I started looking at it's it's got a um it's got a whole host of video modules and activities that you can do that teaches family members craft. And so that's what I did. I started uh, learning craft. I started implementing it pretty quickly with my son. Um, and I'll tell you, at the, at the time, he was not living at home. He was living a distance away. Um, but I started implementing uh, a lot of the communication skills that are in there. And I instantly saw a difference. And I was hooked. That was it.
0: Do you want to get high quality meat delivered straight to your house? Or in my case, a sailboat? try ButcherBox. It saves me time and money. And if you order right now, Mentally Stronger listeners can get steak, chicken, or salmon free in every single order for an entire year. I love that ButcherBox offers grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, and wild-caught seafood. There are no antibiotics or added hormones. They even offer vegetarian options. ButcherBox lets you decide how often you want deliveries, and you can pick a curated plan, or you could completely customize your box. Sign up at butcherbox.com stronger and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer, plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com stronger and use code stronger to choose your free for a year offer. Plus get $20 off your first order
1: that was it. And, and just kind of like to add one little piece out there. I decided that, um, I loved my, you know, I loved my support groups, but I felt that it was missing this piece. And I felt that a lot of, and I, and their support groups, because they're there to support you and they are focused on just you. So I thought about it and I thought, you know, why don't we combine the two and let's make sure that we also have the opportunity as family members to learn the different craft skills, which are based in psychological principles that are well-proven. They are all evidence-based. And why don't I make another group? I'm not going to call it a support group, even though there's lots of support groups, Uh, aspects or characteristics in these groups. I'm going to call them psychoeducational groups. So you have the opportunity to get connected to a lot of community. Um, You get a lot, there is a ton of emotional support in there, but also um, you have the opportunity to really dive into craft. And I use the Allies in Recovery uh, website as the curriculum. So, again, using my teaching experience um, in these meetings and and also uh, uh, just getting educated on all things addiction, as well as making sure that the majority of the meetings are upbeat, that they're a positive environment for people to learn and and to actually bring hope into the picture. Um, in a way that gives family members actually something you can do because there's always, always something you can do to help and influence your loved one with substance use.
0: I love that message, and I'm glad that all of those things came together for you because we do feel better when we're taking some kind of action. And most of the people I speak to who say, you know, I love somebody who's struggling with a substance use disorder— they're just so overcome with anxiety. And then they go to meetings where often the message is, you didn't create it, you didn't cause it, you can't cure it. And they're told, you know, to use tough love or to disengage from somebody, but yet they're worried sick. Like what happens if this person overdoses? What happens if this person doesn't get better? And then am I not supposed to talk to them? Sometimes that doesn't feel like the right thing to do. And they're really struggling. When, before you found craft was that what your life was like? Did you find that you were just struggling to function with, because of it, the anxiety or the fear?
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, that That's exactly why. I mean, one, finding him overdosed was an extremely traumatic, traumatic, traumatic experience. Um, and it wasn't just an overdose where he went to the hospital um, and was Narcan and then they sent him home. He ended up on life support for uh, about four days, I think it was. Um, and so we had been told that he wasn't going to make it actually. And we were getting ready to make, um, funeral arrangements and he made it. He ended up making it. Um, and so yes, the anxiety and the worry and the trauma and the, it, it, it really debilitated me. And, I can see why so many families, they're debilitated. They're paralyzed, right? They're just paralyzed with absolute fear and anxiety and worry. And it—and it's totally out of complete love. Right. And then one of the
0: things I hear from family members too is like, it's kind of a secret. Somebody says, you know, how's your, how's your daughter? How's your sister? And people are like, oh, she's good. She's not, but they think it's not anybody's business for me to share this information. But it's that loneliness and isolation that often makes people feel so bad about what they're going through and that they feel like they don't have anybody to talk to.
1: Right. And it's stigma too, right? I don't want to share this with my neighbors, right? I, because if I do, if, if the people around me know there is so much stigma out there, I, even for the family, right? For the not, how do I say this? the family member experiences stigma for the loved one vicariously through the loved one, right? So we can watch an awful lot of stigma that they experience and have this sense that we have no power or no control over that at all. And all we want to do is um, put a safety net around them because that stigma doesn't help. It makes it worse, right? And then we have our own stigma to deal with because. You hear a lot of this. And this comes out of a lot of those support groups too. Don't enable. You're codependent. So you tell me I didn't cause it. I can't cure it. But then you tell me I'm enabling and I'm codependent. Isn't that causing it? Isn't that driving it? So to me, again, really mixed messages. and. um And and the fact of the matter is, is when you call me codependent or when you tell me that I'm enabling, you're actually telling me, um, you're telling me you're not a safe space for me to confide in and and talk to about this issue. So you're really building, helping to build a wall and helping to isolate me as a family member even more.
0: Yes. Yes. And I see a lot of that where people then feel a lot of guilt because it is that mixed message of you didn't you didn't play a role in it but at the same time you're enabling it and sometimes it's just somebody showing kindness to somebody who's struggling and they're like oh you're you're enabling that person or you shouldn't let them do that or you shouldn't take them out to lunch because they're actively in addiction or something like that where these family members are just really want to show some love and support to somebody and then they feel like they get shamed for it if they do it right
1: right and and there's a lot behind that because Um, because I'm sorry, showing love to someone, I mean, they, they often say the opposite of addiction is connection. And, and I'm going to say the opposite of addiction is not only connection, it's positive connection. It's loving connection. It's not toxic connection because you can have toxic connection with someone and, um, can actually, and can make things more complicated and uh, and not contribute to moving things in a positive direction, um, but to tell me that I can't express my love to my loved one because they're struggling with some kind of an illness, I have a problem with that right i that's not helping me that doesn't help me it doesn't help my loved one um, and I'll also say this, my loved one did not go into recovery at what people consider rock bottom or when I was implementing tough love. Um, My loved one, like people will generally say, uh, you see all these memes out in social media, you know, things like, um, you know, you're enabling, if you're paying for their car, you're paying for housing, you're feeding them, you're uh, paying for their phone. Well, I'm telling you, I was doing all four of those things when my loved one went into recovery. I was. He was living with me. I um, I was funding a car when he needed to get to work. Uh, I don't know how he could get started in life if he didn't have access to some form of transportation or I drove him. Um, I was putting a roof over his head and and it was when those things were, um, he didn't have access to those things was when he struggled the most. Yeah. It was right. was when it was more difficult for him to go into recovery than when he had access to those things. Um, and I don't feel the least bit guilty about having done it, at least not anymore. Right. Right. What
0: did you start doing differently once you discovered craft? What changed within you?
1: That's a really deep question. <laughs> what changed within me? I think my understanding of of addiction changed, in that and starting to really look at this as a health issue as a as a medical issue, and starting to realize that, wow, we don't treat people with heart il- heart disease this way or diabetes or you know, all sorts of illnesses. We don't, you know, if someone has heart disease and they go to their doctor and the doctor says, you know, well, you know, you have uh, your, both of your parents had heart disease, you've already had a heart attack. You go to McDonald's every other day, and you're drinking. Well, what I want you to do is a treatment plan. I don't want you to eat at McDonald's anymore, and I and I don't want you to uh, drink uh, any more beer like you've been doing. And then the loved one goes home, and it's Sunday afternoon, and the football game is on, and they say, oh, I can have just one beer, can't I?" And they end up having three beers or they go by McDonald's and they're, you know, oh, I'll just do it once this week. I'll just have McDonald's once this week. We don't have doctors saying you're out. You're out of the treatment program. You know, we don't have mom, you know, trying to make him feel horrible as a person begging and pleading, right? You know, don't eat at McDonald's. How can you do this <laughs> to the family? You know, um so So it was when I started to look at it that way that I was like, wait a minute, he's not doing this to me. As difficult as it is for me to cope, that's my stuff. And it's not, I can't put it onto him. His, I can't, It just like I can't put it onto someone with heart disease or with diabetes you know, no, I don't want my loved one to struggle from those illnesses. I want them to follow their treatment program, but if they don't, I don't kick them out. Right. Right. And so that's when things started to really change for me. Okay, wait a minute. I need to step back and I need to, and and I literally remember it bouncing back and forth in my head. Laurie, are you going to treat it like an illness or are you going to treat it like a character flaw or a moral uh, a moral issue. And it wasn't until I said nope. it's it's some form of an illness. It's about health. it's about um wellness. And the fact of the matter is it's something that um, it's something that you really don't have control over as much as any other illness. And so let go of that. And just work and build on your relationship with him and being a soft spot and a caring spot uh, for him to come. And uh, and I'll just always be there for him. That's it.
0: So many of those things you just said are important. So if we just looked at it, just like your McDonald's example, it becomes ridiculous when you think of it in those terms. But unfortunately, so many people don't look at it as a medical issue, and even down to some physicians and rehabilitation centers, hospitals, the legal system. And so I think for a lot of families to then try to reframe how they view it, it becomes tough and they second-guess themselves and they start to think, yeah, but other people are giving us this message. So I'm really glad that you said that and gave that example. And I also like that you talked about the importance of connection. Because that's something that is often lost in all of this is the importance of being connected to somebody.
1: Yeah, I I, I like what you're bringing up because it's really important also to understand that it isn't like one night I woke up and all of a sudden everything changed. Um, It was a process. Yes, I did. I did have a lot of the views um, that a lot of families, especially early on my journey, um, and I was listening to a lot of these groups, but it was also a process for me of learning, a journey for me of understanding. And it was, I'm, I'm just not ever going to give up. Um, and just saying, no, I, no matter how difficult it gets, I wouldn't turn away from my loved one if they had cancer. I'm not, I personally think addiction is just as as lethal and as difficult as cancer is a deal a coping with that um and i'm not turning away from him i don't care if he is never capable of or never stops using substances and at the very least he will always know that i was there i was there for him and i did the best that i could
0: yeah yeah, what a, a different message I think than that is than a lot of people get from, from other places. What are some of the uh, skills that somebody might expect to learn if they join Allies in Recovery or they find a therapist who does craft? What are some examples of things that they would uh, learn from being
1: there? Well, okay, communication skills is the foundation of community uh, reinforcement and family Training, so lots and lots of communication skills, um, and I'll just I'll just kind of spew a couple some that people already know, um, and uh, uh, I use an acronym called Pius. Have you ever heard of Pius, Amy? I have. Yep. You have. Okay. So positive statements, I statements, understanding statements, and then short and specific. Okay. Positive statements. What's the difference between a positive and a negative statement? Negative statements are things that um, we are often demanding someone stop doing. We are, we are demanding what we don't want. Don't lie to me, right? Very demanding, very negative. And I'm telling you what I don't want. A positive statement, I I want to turn that around. I want to change the language. I want to request. So, A positive statement is requesting something that you do want, right? So it sounds something like, I would really appreciate honesty between the two of us, right? See how it's softer, it's more inviting, and you're more likely to get some sort of engagement versus someone becoming defensive right off the bat. No, I don't lie. I never, what are you talking about, you know, versus, okay, I might stop and think if I you know, about hmm, how honest do I want to be, right? And that is just a a tiny little snippet of communication with craft. It is the foundation of craft. Um, It is loaded with all sorts of skills that you get to learn. uh, Just things like... um, there's something called sandwiching in craft. And most people know sandwiching when they're communicating as being, you make a couple of positive statements about someone and then you ask whatever it is that, you know, you bring up the negative piece and then you make a pot, you end it with a positive. That's not the same in craft. Craft is ask ask for permission to share. So you're going to ask the person, would it be okay if I, you know, I have a couple of thoughts I'd like to share with you, you know, you don't have to listen to me if you don't want to, you don't even have to follow through. It's just thoughts, things to think about. Can I share them with you? And then once you get that, yes, it's just present the information, you know, um, uh, I know your boss yelled at you at work the other day. Have you thought about maybe going down to human resources and talking to someone there? Or do you think it's something you could pull your boss into the office and ask to have a discussion, right? I ask permission. I get the yes. I share the information. And then at the end, I say, what do you think? What do you think? So I hand it back to them. Because it's for it's for them. It's not for me to make that decision. And then, you know, what? oftentimes I get, no, no, I'm not interested, right? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this had nothing to do with me telling you what you should do, just what you might think about. Okay, and I'm sure, and then I end it. I always end it with this kind of sandwiching thing of confidence that I have confidence in you. Well, I'm sure you'll figure it out. You're an adult, you'll figure it out. Um, we can talk about it again later, and that's it. Um, so, so for craft, that the foundation are the communication skills, changing up how you communicate, um, changing in a very positive way, and the whole goal of changing up your communication is to build on your relationship with your loved one to become a safe, softer spot for them to come and discuss things with, which kind of brings us back to that original, the opposite of addiction is connection. And so here is where you're kind of laying that connection. Um, And then it moves on to interactive skills. Well, what do you do when your loved one is using, or what do you do when your loved one is engaging in difficult behavior? Um, And and the foundation of that is basically, it's kind of like, when a toddler throws a temper tantrum. If a toddler throws a temper tantrum and they're in the middle of their temper tantrum, which is the difficult behavior, what does the pediatrician tell you to do? Get out of there, right? Just don't give it any attention because when you give it attention, you're rewarding it. Well, you're going to do the same thing with your loved one. Difficult behavior, don't give it attention, excuse yourself and get out of there. If they're engaging in positive behavior, temper tantrums over, they're, they're getting control of themselves, they're calming down. You go in and go, oh, I see you're calm. Let's talk about what happened, right? You reward it through engagement. Same thing. Your loved one is not using or things are going well, they're engaged. You're going to get in there and you're going to reward that kind of behavior, Um there's a lot. There is also a lot more to the the um, uh, the interactive skills on kind of like how to utilize rewards the best that you possibly can um, in different situations. But this is basically the foundation of craft communication, interactive skills.
0: And what's the success rate of how many people's loved ones get into treatment?
1: That's a great. What a great question. So it depends on what um, what, uh, uh, study you look at, but it ranges between 64 and 75%. So, and, and let me clear this up. After about, um, about a 12 week period of time of utilizing craft, you have a, there is a success rate of getting your loved one engaged in treatment between approximately 64 and 75% of people. I know she should, Amy's shaking her head with no right now because you can't believe it. But, right. but yes, it has that high of a success rate of getting your loved one engaged in, into treatment. And let me, let me word it this way too. Um, what that means is it's your loved one's idea. You just supported it and helped, influence, and encourage, and guide. You didn't force it. You're not pushing them into it. It's it's just you engaged with them in a way. You offered up supports um, in a positive way, and they decided, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, head into this treatment program. Um, and yes, uh, really high success rate compared to anything else like the Johnston intervention or the uh, which is that typical intervention episode right. that you would see on television or um or even in in we're going to say AA and NA because it's been compared to AA and NA but in de- in defense of Al-Anon and NarAnon they're not designed to do that that's they right. are not programs that are trying to get your loved one into treatment craft is
0: the reason I'm shaking my hat is because so many people haven't heard of CRAFT. I was a therapist for a long time, probably at least 10 years before I even was aware that this was out there. And it's so successful and does give people so much support. So I'm thrilled that you're out there helping people. We will link to the Allies in Recovery website. I'm going to make sure everybody knows where to find your podcast too, coming up for air so that they can get support. But you do offer support groups, articles. Tons of information on your site for people who want to know what do I do when I have a loved one? Any last words of, of wisdom or support for somebody who's listening and says, yeah, I'm struggling?
1: Just know that um, there is there is help out there for families, right? And really, you are key. You can make a huge difference. Um, and so I would, you know, even if you don't go to Allies. Look up, craft, community reinforcement, and family training, and know that there are other family members out there who uh, who want to help, who want to be supports for you, um, and you're not alone. Lori McDougall, thank you so much for being on Mentally Stronger. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Welcome to the Therapist Take. This is the part of the show where I'll break down Lori's mental strength building strategies and share how you can apply them to your own life. Here are three of her strategies that I highly recommend. Number one, educate yourself about addiction. There's so much misinformation out there about addiction. And you might even get some of that misinformation from sources that are supposed to be credible. I've heard doctors talk about the mythical quote unquote rock bottom And I've seen legal systems mandate treatment, like sentencing people to 90 AA meetings in 90 days. We would never tolerate a judge mandating the type of treatment someone get for a knee injury. Like the judge couldn't decide if the person should have surgery or physical therapy. So it's bizarre that we would let a judge dictate what kind of treatment people get for a substance use issue. Treatment for substance use issues should be individualized. Therapy, Medication, support groups, rehab, intensive outpatient programs, sober coaches, sober living homes, and self-help strategies are just a few of the treatment options out there. And some people get better without ever receiving formal treatment. When you better understand addiction, though, you'll be able to better understand your loved one's behavior, and you won't take things so personally. Addiction causes people to do things they normally wouldn't do like lie or steal. You certainly don't have to let the person treat you badly just because they have an addiction, but understanding it better can help and you can learn how to encourage change. If you're looking for credible information on how to help a loved one, check out a book called Beyond Addiction by Dr. Jeff Foote. It's a great resource. Number two, work on your connection to the person. Lori talked about the importance of connection when it comes to encouraging a loved one to change. This is the opposite message that you might have been given by other professionals or well-meaning friends and family. People are often told to detach or disengage because it's too painful to stay close to someone who's actively poisoning themselves. But developing a close relationship is the key ingredient that can help somebody change. If you learn the principles of craft, however, you'll see that maintaining a close relationship doesn't mean allowing yourself to be treated poorly. You can have firm but kind boundaries. You can set those boundaries while also using positive reinforcement and positive communication. Those are all skills that you'll learn in craft. It's tough to do when someone that you love is using, but we know that begging and yelling, arguing, lecturing, and punishing people will never motivate them to change. Instead, you can become their ally in recovery by supporting their efforts to create positive change. And when you become familiar with craft, you'll see that there are always positive things you can be on the lookout for. And number three, find a therapist or a group well-versed in craft. Not all therapists are familiar with craft. Even the ones who are familiar with substance abuse might not know how to help family members best. So if you're looking for one-on-one help, look for a therapist who is specifically craft trained. There are many people who go to group therapy to learn craft skills. It could be because you have a partner or a loved one who drinks too much, or you're their parent of an adult child who abuses prescription drugs. The person doesn't necessarily need to live with you in order for craft to be effective. Plenty of people have practiced the skills long distance with a loved one. And you don't have to just go to therapy to get help. You can join Allies in Recovery online, which has a small monthly membership fee, but it's actually free for some people, depending on your area of residence. I'll link to it in the show notes. But when you join, you get access to online training modules, articles, and support groups to learn how to manage your emotions and encourage a loved one to get help. Also, check out Lori's podcast, Coming Up for Air, and you'll learn a lot more about craft skills. And while there's no guarantee that craft will get your loved one into treatment, it can't help reduce the fear and anxiety that you might experience about your loved one's well-being. So those are three of Lori's strategies that I highly recommend. Educate yourself about addiction. Work on your connection with your loved one. And find a therapist or group well-versed in craft to learn more. To learn more about craft and Lori's work, go to alliesinrecovery.net or check out their podcast, coming up for air. If you know someone who could benefit from learning strategies for dealing with a loved one with an addiction, please share this show with them. Simply sharing a link to this episode could help someone feel better and grow stronger. Do you want free access to my online course? It's called 10 Mental Strength Exercises That Will Help You Reach Your Greatest Potential. To get your free pass, all you have to do is leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Then send us a screenshot of your review. Our email address is podcast at amymorinlcsw.com. We'll reply with your all access pass to the course. Thank you for hanging out with me today and for listening to Mentally Stronger. And as always, a big thank you to my show's producer, Nick Valentine.